All right, Connor, you got a new intro. What's the new intro this week? What do you mean? <laughs> no, I didn't have a new intro. No, the intro song. Oh, yeah, I just used a little bit of new music this week. Well, just thought I'd introduce it. I mean... It was on the last one. It was in on I know, but you gotta, you gotta give it. the name. You gotta give the band. We know who the band is. It's the keep, all, keep all of this in, please. I like the production meeting <laughs> on air to start the podcast. It's okay. We don't want to give Andrew any more shout-outs than he already gets. <laughs> It's way too many, way too many. But I mean, it's draft season. We have Marshall Ferguson joining us. Wade Zanketa, Connor O'Neill as well. Um, man, we were just having a pretty interesting conversation off air. And Marsh said, just hit record and keep it going. We were talking about Mr. Irrelevant, Connor Burton Shaw. Well, this is what always happens when we actually make an attempt to get together is that we start talking about things like any CFL diehard fan or media member does around this time of year. And they're super interesting conversations. And I was just like, hey, we should probably just press record on these because we were talking about in this year's draft, how essentially once you get past pick 50, it's basically just a lot of guys where you're like, I'll pick them. If they can get through a camp and blow me away, then maybe I'll practice roster them. Maybe they'll, we'll kick the tires on you down the road. Maybe we'll just get a little bit of film and send you back to school, whatever. But it's also like there's really not any expectation. And then we were talking about Connor Burtonshaw was the last pick taken last year, who we all know you guys know better than I do, but like, and what an incredible success that was like a super under the radar, but what an incredible success that was in his first year in the league. Yeah. I mean, he played the majority of the games for the bombers and they haven't really gotten uh, too many full backs on like the riders. Uh, on the roster so for him to kind of crack it as a, a second fullback uh, and still contribute in a huge way I think was a huge plus for him yeah and I would say this too like there's in terms of career games played um, I was looking at this the other day from players that were drafted uh, last year 18 games played I, maybe <laughs> this is fun trivia for the listeners if anybody is hardcore enough about CFL draft to try and play along with this one. There were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people from last year's draft that the CFL draft guide has as playing in each of the games. Can you name any of them? They have to play in every game. That's what this says. I I actually didn't remember some of these guys being on every game, but I guess I wasn't looking at every single depth chart every game. So. Uh, Cyril Hogan saying on. Yes. Good for you. Yes. Ooh, what a pull. Okay. <laughs> I had to go with my guy. I had to go with him right away. Played in yeah. this game. So he's, I'll give you another hint. He's the only offensive lineman who played in all 18. Yes, because the other top pick, Zach Pelios, missed a few games, yeah. I think, early in the season. Yeah. Um. Okay. I don't think either of the twins were. Like, the twins as in the Cherry Pickett twins. Uh. Marshall's giving me a stare. I, I now I'm doubting <laughs> myself. I could have swore that either Nathan Cherry or Riley Pickett missed a game or two. So neither of them are. But when you mention twins, you're getting hotter. Yeah. Oh, I know the Philpots. The Philpots played almost. But Tyson Philpot. I was gonna say yeah. Only one of the Philpots. Tyson Philpot because Jalen yeah. had a couple couple injuries at the start. Of the I think Jalen had the concussion and he had a knee or something. If I'm not mistaken, too. Yeah, something like um, that. And then. Tyrell Ford missed a couple games, if I'm not mistaken, too, right? So he's not on the list. It has Tyrell as being good 
on all 18, which I thought was surprising because I didn't remember that. I um, thought he missed like right away. I thought but, I think he missed one in the playoffs, maybe. But um, we know obviously that Trey got dinged in the game against Calgary, right? Which yeah, yeah so he's out. Goal. He's out. So, so that was out. Um <laughs> there's a long snapper on the list. Peter Ajay from yes. Queens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh and then I'm not gonna give you any more hints because I just want you to struggle for the last three. Last three. Okay. Three guys. Uh uh Daniel Adam Aboye is out because they didn't dress three running backs for every game this year, I don't think. I think he did play every game. Connor wins. Yeah. Oh, Connor. He did. All right. We got one more, Connor. Uh, they use them on specials a bunch. Yeah. Uh, okay. One last, last rookie to play all 18 games. Gregor McKellar? No, Too wait. Good. No, no, no. No, take that back because you said there was no other offensive line. Right. Oh, Connor, you get one more guess and then I'll let you know. I don't know. I'm trying to think of. I don't know. <laughs> riveting, I can't. riveting podcasting by me, Keandre Smith. Oh my god! Oh, for Hamilton, yeah. That's now that you say the name, I'm like, yes, that's obvious. Because he did and get some Jayden, touches too. Jaden Dalkey was the other one. Oh my god! How do we miss Jaden Dalkey? He was like one of our draft <laughs> guys last year. I know. Oh my lord. So, but yeah, so that's the group, right? There were seven of them that played in all games, but for the last pick to play in eight of them on a team in Winnipeg that. Uh, didn't really need help (laughs) like pretty much had their lineup set um i guess that would we would take that as being encouraging if you are drafted by the argonauts this year because coming off of the gray cup in 21 going into 22 with a roster that was essentially stacked and had all their people in the right places then if you get drafted to toronto who knows maybe you'll play eight games this year hey i mean we have a theory about what Toronto is going to do. We're going to let you in on it, Marshall. Because oh. you could take maybe like 10% credit on this. Maybe 12. All futures? No. Nope. No, this is, a, this is a wild conspiracy theory. This is a draft night conspiracy theory. Yeah. So Maybe we, it extends a bit beyond. Hang on, wait. I have, I have another suggestion on a, on a conspiracy theory. Draft all of the Montreal Caravans guys and then force Machocha to, to have trade for like someone else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And for like, I've actually thought about this. If they continue to show that trend of drafting Montreal Caravan and French Canadian, not- it would not be a bad strategy if you were a team in the East to draft all the Caravan guys and then be like, what are you willing to give up in order? To, like, if we want actual players that are on your roster who are like second and third years, and you're like, I don't know, this draft isn't really for us, just draft all the RSEQ guys and then go to Machocha and be like, we have everything you want. We'll package them together. But what player are you giving us? Yeah, like how bad do you want Michael Broderick plus? <laughs> but then you get like some of the guys are Quebec natives that you don't realize, right? Um, <laughs> all right. Our conspiracy theory. If you paid attention to the Edmonton Elks this year, which we know you have, but for our listeners. I feel like I'm going to start they, sliding in the like X-Files or Twin Peaks music underneath this. I should go grab the roadcaster so we can put it on, Connor. Um, you know that they have brought in yet another quarterback. They have signed the corn man, as we call him on this show, to a massive contract. They also decided to turn around and let their, heading into his second year, quarterback Trey Ford who started a handful of games for them at the start of the year before going down with injury, go and try out and 
see if he could prove to NFL scouts at the combine for the Buffalo Bulls. Yep. So if we're piecing all this together, Connor and I kind of think that the man in black uh, is kind of out on the Waterloo Warriors alumni. And we think that the Toronto Argonauts are going to be buyers come <laughs> draft night. We think that they're going to dish out their first pick. I think it's like the second round. They get their first shot at the draft. Um, but we wait, think that they're going to dish. What does, what does Toronto have that Edmonton wants? 16th overall. And name your NCAA player. I guess, but then I'm also like... Toronto already doesn't pick in the first round. It doesn't have a pick until 16. So if they don't, if they give away their 16 at that <clears> point, they're like, I got to pull this up just quickly, but um, they're not picking until when? Uh, I believe the third round, late third round. Cause like, I know, I know for a fact that Vince Magri actually does enjoy the draft. Um, I know Vince they picked, they last pick in the third round. So 27 overall third round. Yeah. But I, mean, I think someone movement, who but... smiles constantly has other aspirations for this team. Yeah. And with Chad Kelly already voicing his displeasure with his current contract situation and I mean, saying how he has been looking south of the border already after playing in a three-minute stretch in the Grey Cup, I don't think they can count on Chad Kelly being the face of the franchise for too long. I, uh, there's two things I would say to that one after living the Manziel experience day to day when he was in Hamilton and I was covering the team closely. Yeah. Sometimes the Manziel's and Chad Kelly's of the world just kind of say stuff that doesn't actually mean a damn thing. They're just, they're used to being able to say whatever the hell they want and have no repercussions. And so when you try to place meaning sometimes on the things that are said, uh, I, I learned when Johnny was around that, he would say 10 things and one or two of them would actually mean anything. And it wasn't that he was trying to be inflammatory or um, he wasn't trying to provoke. It was just like his natural programming, like his, his ingrained software was just to say crazy things. Uh, and then everybody would be like, Ooh, what, what does that mean? And I very much took the approach of probably nothing. Just wait. Like, see whether or not it means anything, and then we'll find out kind of thing. The other thing I would say is I have learned covering Chris Jones through Saskatchewan into leaving, into coming back, going to Edmonton. Never, even though we all think we know what he wants and what he's doing and what his tendencies are, never assume that you have any idea what the hell is going on inside that man's head. Yep. <laughs> I will We were actually saying that say. on the last episode. It. It always seems like he is like very readable because you're like, oh, well, he he likes a certain body type, versatility on the defensive side, and NCAA pedigrees. Right. So you're like, okay, let's piece A, B, and C together. Chances are we'll get this answer. And then it shows up on draft night, and you're like, oh, wait, they're doing what? Yeah. There, there's, there's, a part, there's a part of Chris Jones, and this is the great poker game that he plays with the entire league. There's a part of him that wants you to believe what he is selling to you about exactly that profile. And sometimes he reinforces it and he actually wants those things. 
And then other times he goes the complete opposite way and just throws you off. And you don't know what's real and what's fake and what he's thinking and what he wants and what he doesn't want. He, he just wants to keep you guessing. Yeah, I, I will uh, I will attest to that with the amount of Edmonton Elks transactions that I had to like help publish all of last year. <laughs> Wait, is your are you allowed to openly talk about your time publishing now? Well, I don't I don't know about like openly. I don't they think never like to I don't think like saying the Edmonton Elks had a lot of transactions last year is like insider trading or anything <laughs> like that. But like but you know that like internally a little piece of connor died every time a waiver wire thing came across from edmonton he's like what is this dude doing oh, i have other things to accomplish especially when it was like 459 on like a friday and you're like yeah sick Appreciate otherwise you. known as as jones o'clock yeah oh it was yeah perfect timing every time that's amazing <sighs> all right so that's our theory on okay trey ford's status because I, I don't know. To me, all signs point towards we're moving away from you. You had a little run. I'm sorry. But Taylor Cornelius, as inconsistent as he has been, and our colleague here, sometimes the CFP, Derek Taylor, I, I think he is the most disliking of Taylor Cornelius just because of the inconsistencies. Yeah. But for yeah, some I... reason, Edmonton backed up the truck and said, all right, here you go. I uh, I have a hard time with the Cornelius stuff too because I I've never been a believer, but I'm also trying not to be stuck in my ways and to be open minded. But there's just some moments in games where you're like, what are we like? How is this the plan? And so I I wish that Trey would get a legitimate look, but I'll also say this as somebody who calls games in the East Division primarily, if Trey Ford ends up in Toronto, starter or backup to Chad Kelly, I'm in. Like. Who wouldn't want that for Toronto? I mean, That's what we... I'm saying is like, I think pinball kind of outrules. I know we, you joked and said like, oh, Vince likes the, uh, the draft a little bit. It's like, yeah, but I think that pinball likes to sell tickets yeah. and get the fan base energized in no better way than by bringing in Trey Ford to the Toronto area. From a marketing perspective in this like purely hypothetical world where Toronto somehow lands with Trey Ford, I mean, we saw we saw how well it worked in BC when Nathan Rourke was kind of postered as the face of that franchise, right? Like yeah, from and a I fan think perspective, you, gotta have, you gotta have the ownership support of like a Mardoman, right? Who's gonna actively put yeah. up the billboards and have the people and sell the jerseys and have the you know all the all the fixings that go around that. But yeah, I agree with you. I, the easiest thing in Canadian football to sell is the Canadian quarterback. It's the yeah. easiest. It's, it's the most direct to the consumer because you don't have to educate even the casual fan on what this means. If you don't know anything about football or Canadian football, you still know what a quarterback is. There's just, it's a buzzword. It's a, it means the guy who's the leader who's on the posters, all the rest. Now you tell him that he's from Niagara Falls and he went to school at Waterloo, and he's the starting quarterback this Friday night in a game on national television. It's so simple, and it connects with people on so many levels that, yeah, Trey would be immediately one of the biggest stories in the league. And it, honestly, it, it makes me long for Rourke still being in BC because if we were able to get, like, I really, really, really wanted the Ford versus Rourke Western Division games of Edmonton, BC, and we just never got them because. Like Rourke got dinged and Trey got dinged and whatever. The timing didn't work out on it. But um, 
you know, if they had started Trey in week one and he had got obliterated like that, like BC did last year, we probably wouldn't have been very happy about it. But I think if you would have played those two guys and those two teams, like, you know, week five, week six, week seven kind of thing, then you could have had a hope to have one of those memorable games. So, but I mean, yeah, regardless for me, I know it's a little off topic, but just because we're talking about draft and, and obviously Bo Levi Mitchell's trade is shaking up the draft order a little bit with all the different moving pieces. And then, you know, VA's move from Montreal to BC and there's that first round consideration that goes there. And then it's like the East division for quarterbacks this year to me when healthy, which is obviously the biggest caveat, but the Red Blacks with Masoli, Toronto with Chad Kelly as it stands right now, Hamilton with Bo Levi, and then whatever that thing is going to be in Montreal with Fajardo and Moss being paired back together. I'm like, there's some ridiculous storylines as always, it seems like in the CFL, but uh, you know, the one that probably the only one that would have made the East division quarterbacking situation more entertaining would be if Dane would have ended up in Montreal. Cause Dane, <laughs> like, like literally every week having Hamilton versus Toronto or Dane versus Masoli or Bo versus Dane or, like, there's just so many connection points on that that it would have been crazy. So, uh, unfortunately, Montreal kind of squashed that a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, it's the, – the draft trades from last year are going to play a huge role in the actual draft situation, I think, next Tuesday. Absolutely. And uh, as we talk about next Tuesday, we've got the category that Connor and I like to call the C&Ever guys, uh, who are our players that are more than likely – going to be taken in the NFL draft tonight as it is Thursday uh, or Friday or Saturday in the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. Yeah. Uh, this year, we think we have five. Is that fair to say? Uh, everyone knows who we're talking about at this point. Matthew Bergeron, the Brown brothers, City Sal and Tavis Robinson. Um, is there anyone that you would like to add to that possibly see and never group that could be like an undrafted free agent uh like a carter o'donnell was ah it's a good question i think just looking through like my mock draft is coming out either today or on friday and i have a really hard time assigning where to put guys that are kind of your quote-unquote see and never type dudes um, I think the highest one that I have uh, out of that group, do, 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 at 24, I have Tavius Robinson to Calgary. Um, and that's just because I think, like, this is how it was explained to me by some CFL executives, like, when I first got into covering the draft was, yeah, that dude is, like, really special. And at this point, they were actually talking to me about Matthew Betts. That's how long ago this was. But they said, that dude's really special. Now, I want you to look at his athletic measurables and look at the draft pool and tell me that there isn't somebody who is as athletic or more athletic. Now, tell me there's somebody who didn't play at a bigger school or play more consistently or has a better scheme that fits whatever teams want or... There's just so many variables that go into it that I kind of look at Tavius Robinson and I'm like, we think he's really special because we know what he is in terms of where he came from, from Guelph, goes to Guelph, transfers down, pandemic, all the rest, has a very good career down there, which I think is an incredible story. But there's also a part of me that 
just thinks he could go into a camp. He could be a really athletic dude, and that's not going to be good enough. Like I've heard yeah. Andrew, I've heard Andrew Hawkins talk about this right on his podcast. Is that he's like everybody there is freakishly athletic. That's not why guys stay in the NFL. Like if you don't get your opportunity and you don't prove yourself, then you could be out of a job. And for him, if he's out of a job, I think teams would be willing to take a chance on Robinson. But I mean, I have the Brown brothers going forty uh, seventh, fifty fourth. I have Bergeron going fifty ninth, like way late in the draft. I don't know if there's anybody else that we should be putting. <clears throat> I feel like if Jared Wayne's forty was better he might be on the edge of that list where we'd be like oh wow it's elite speed but he doesn't have that so they're always going to lean towards elite game breaker speed he'll be you know i think taken and um i think that he'll probably end up getting a a decent look but i also think that he's very much in play for the first overall pick um for auto if i were them i think that would be worth the risk so dante bowl coming off injury like I don't think he needs to be on that list. Sutherland, <laughs> there's a a billion. Free uh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> there's a billion free safeties that could be qualified in a variety of different areas. Same with Cole Tucker. Same with Bemi. So it's kind of a funny group, right? Because there's so many top end talented NCA guys that just might not be talented enough to break through and be seen never, but they're certainly talented enough to be in the discussion for the top end of the first round in the draft here. Yeah, we went through a, a mock uh, on our Tuesday show, and I put City Sow as my first overall pick. And I said, if by some reason he does not go, yeah. and maybe he signs a UDFA contract that isn't worth a whole lot guaranteed, Ottawa sits there and goes, okay, do you want to come up to Canada? And then yeah. they're sitting there with Pelios, Cyril, and City Sow. Yeah. They've got three top draft-valued players national players that they can keep on their offensive line and yeah if Masoli's injury is what truly derailed their year last year we can point at coaching or whatever i think it was Masoli injury then this honestly is the like reaction to the initial action right being the injury yeah and i i so i have sal going 30th to saskatchewan and i basically just drafted a bunch of offensive linemen to saskatchewan like <laughs> Like, so did we. <laughs> like, I gave them Dante Bull third overall, Clark Barnes at 11, Anthony Vandell at 21, City Sow at 30. Um, then I gave him Jackson Ford just because that was fun. But Troy Kowal, like, I, I put him out there. I think I exclusively drafted them linemen, essentially, in this mock. And it, if nothing else, like, it was basically just making the point, the exercise of, if this is the last year of Jeremy O'Day and, and Craig Dickinson, if they go out and they draft a bunch of receivers and DBs and then they end up with 70 sacks, people are just going to be like, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> so like they might save their, their jobs by just drafting a bunch of offensive one and being like, look, at least we tried. Like we made the effort to try and go get them. But I mean, I put, I put Ottawa is really interesting to me because when you say that Ottawa could do that early with City, I think they might be the only team that can do that because they have six picks in the top twenty. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And if if you can, if there's like a sliver of hope, he comes north. Yeah, and like because Ottawa can. Top, I got drafting Dean Leonard after a seventh rounder. To me, I was like, he runs a four three. He's going to play special yeah. teams. Like he'll be he'll be gone. Like yeah. to me, I was like, with City Sal, 
if he's a bubble roster guy, there's more of a chance he comes back because he's not playing specials, right? Yeah, totally. And it, for me, like, I'm I'm really interested in what Sean Burke does on Tuesday night because he will be juggling futures picks, which many of them were through 20 and 21 and even parts of 22. We're in 23. We're on the backside. We're starting to get kind of this like five-year cycle back into normalcy. And they've done the futures pick thing. Like they've done the Michael Hoyts and they've done the Eli Ankus and they've like, there's a bunch of those that Ottawa took, whether it was Burke or the previous regime. And now I'm like, well, if you got six in the top 20, you could do four realistic play now players and you could do two futures. And then it's like, well, how high up do you want to spend your future picks and how high up do you want to just go get guys that you think you can go sign right now? Which is why I say the Jared Wayne thing. Cause I'm like, I think that dude can play in the CFL right now and catch 30 to 40 footballs, like rookie season kind of thing. Like easily, like just smooth. Don't even have to just hide him on the wide side, anything like that. He can come in and he can produce for you. I think he would be like a Braden Lenius kind of player. So if he's going to come in and do that and you're Ottawa and you've got all those picks, do you want to wait and hope that nobody else takes him? Or do you just want to take him at first overall and then go get guys at 10 and then 12 and then 17 and then 19? And it's like, you got territorials, you got draft (laughs) acquired picks. It's like, so Ottawa is super, super intriguing to me just because they're going to be the pivot of the whole draft. How aggressive are they at getting futures? How aggressive are they at getting play nows? How aggressive are they at certain positions? Do they even need an offensive line pick or do they feel solid because of the drafting that they did last year and the recruiting and free agency? Like they're basically going to determine how our entire two hour draft show in the first two rounds is going to go. Yeah, honestly. And with them controlling, like, is there a scenario where you see them trading back and accumulate? Like, I don't think there's really a point in trading back unless there really isn't a guy there that you like, like you already have enough picks accumulated. Like, is there a point to getting any more or are you already Scrooge McDucking into the pot of gold? (laughs) So I have to admit that I watched uh, a clip of Dan Patrick today talking to, is it Steve Kime? Who's the GM of the Cardinals? Uh, Former GM. Yeah. Okay. So he was talking about draft day, the movie. And there is a part of me that wonders whether (laughs) there's a part of me that loves that that movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know. But there is a part of me that wonders um, whether Ottawa would, if again, this is probably not going to happen, but just this, just like this is what draft season is. It's why we all think it's stupid and we all simultaneously love it for being stupid. Is that if Ottawa were to figure out that uh, <laughs> Luol Uguak was the interest of the Edmonton Elks at second overall, then what would Ottawa do or threaten in order to take him before Chris Jones could at second in order to get Chris Jones to give them a bunch of stuff in order to move back in the draft, but also accumulate more like do the old bell check where you turn like a first into two seconds and a third, and then turn your two seconds and a third into like three thirds and four fourths. And then all of a sudden you're just sitting at the end of the draft for like 17 picks and you don't really know what to do with any of them, but you just, you kind of like maneuvered the whole game. Belichick was famous for doing that. And I think that's the only situation that I could see Ottawa switching. But I also didn't think that Tyrell Richards was going to be playing for anybody not called Edmonton last year. 
Yeah. Right? Like, and we've seen Montreal swap with Hamilton when it came to uh, Trey Rutherford and Mark Chapin. Like we've seen God, like the Isaac Adeyemi Berglund trade BC Calgary. Like we, I think we forget how many times in this period, right before or right after the NFL draft, there's like a major move at the top of the draft board. So I don't think it's unquestioned for Ottawa uh, to move, but the, yeah, the question becomes why and for who, because you guys know this, when we came out of the combine broadcast last year, we all said to each other, Tyrell is unquestionably the number one pick. Yeah. We're like, this dude could play defensive back linebacker or defensive line and be the most athletic player on the entire field. Yeah. And so we came out of there. We're like, this is dumb. He's going to be the guy. He was worth going and getting. It was just a matter of who was going to go get him. And it turned out Montreal really wanted. I don't think this year's draft has somebody where you're like, I have to go get that player that creates the motive for moving all of those pieces around. But I also think if Sean Burke gets offered something that he likes, like I say, he's got six picks in the top 20. Why would he not move back a couple spots if he still thinks he can get his guy? Absolutely. Uh, I think when, uh, when we look at, I don't know, guys that could jump up, on boards who are some of the players that you know you put uh jeremy murphy into your mock draft yeah i was kind of like whoa that's a left field from what i've seen but if you've been talking to guys and they really like the long-haired receiver from concordia is he like a guy that's legitimately creeping up you know this is again this is like a really funny combine reason that people move up boards I think all of these people that work in the league work very hard and they do a lot of due diligence and they, they follow people and they scout them before the combine. And then they go to the combine and we measure the dude's hands and we're like, Whoa, that's a receiver. <laughs> like when you see like just massive, massive hands, it's like everything else kind of goes out the window for like two seconds. And then they have to do a reality check and go, wait a minute. Uh, we, we can't change months of work because he just happens to have a 10 inch hand. Uh, but I was standing behind the quarterbacks during the first day of one-on-one routes and Clark Barnes and Jeremy Murphy were the two that were running the show. Like they were communicating. They were telling people where to go. They were asking for certain matchups. They were, um, Murphy has like a real swagger about him, which is why I kind of put him in because this isn't a super strong receiver class after you get past Jared Wayne and Clark Barnes. And I'm kind of, I, the thing I really struggle with is just the lack of size in this group. Yeah. Because there's a lot of good receivers. They're just they're too small. Skinny. <laughs> yeah. Like they're, they're like, there's a bunch of Zachariah career. Like I'm going to sort my list here for receivers and see who I actually put in my mock. But like, there's a bunch of Oladejos and James Basiligas and, uh, Gabriela Piacubis and Richard Burton's and like there's a lot of those dudes and it's like they just kind of leave you oh man like I wish he was like you know two inches three inches taller and I wish that you know this person maybe had a little bit more top end speed or and so because there's really none of that top end stuff I kind of look at the combination of production with frame for Murphy and I think that's why he should be second maybe third round um, I think if it was a more talented, more well-rounded group, he'd probably be like third, fourth, fifth. But I think he just gets bumps, bumped forward based on what the class kind of is um, this year. The one that I'm really, 
kind of struggling with because I feel like it's going to be kind of the, the swing of the draft is Anthony Bennett. Because, yeah. like, to be 26 and have seven years of university football experience, five at FAU, two at Regina, to have Canadian ties but not really flash that much to, to say at the combine, the testing numbers don't matter on film does. And then to test relatively well compared to the rest of the D line group. Uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm like confused by where he's going to go because I think his evaluation could range anywhere from that guy's old and we don't really have a spot for him and he's not an elite pass rusher and he's not a natural weak side linebacker. So I don't know, maybe he's like a second rounder to some teams, like maybe even start of the third round. And I think there's other teams that will see him as a veteran, mature guy who understands the game, who's played on both sides of the border, who's got experience. Like they can talk themselves into loving him, but they can also talk themselves into thinking that they would rather go with a a variety of the different guys that are in that D-line group, including Francis Demi, who I'm super impressed by. And every time I heard him talk at the combine, it seems like his maturity and everything just screams like good career football professional. Um, And honestly, Bennett didn't really give that off. Like when he was at the combine, he was just kind of like, yeah, I just kind of got kicked out of FAU because the coach didn't want me because they changed and I decided to come up here and, now I'm just here and I don't, he was very nonchalant about the whole process. It kind of felt like, so um, I'll be interested to see where he lands. Cause I think he's probably the one that has kind of the biggest range of potential landing spots. What about a guy, if we're talking about combine and like the stupid things we go wow over, right. What about guys like Bretton McDougal and Jake Kelly? Yeah. Bretton McDougal was funny to me because he's essentially like Lucas Cormier's body with like less athleticism. Um, But he's got like a similar frame and he, he moved really well on field at the combine as well. I admittedly, I haven't had a chance to go back and watch much of his stuff yet. um, As I continue my week of cramming, as you can tell from the lack of a haircut um, that there, there hasn't been a lot of maintenance going on. Up here. That's not a lack of a haircut. That's a you have to wait until the day before the show to get the haircut. <laughs> so you have to let it grow a little bit. Yeah, there you go. I'm letting the beard grow out too, so that my barber can actually get me right to actually look like I deserve to be on TV. But um <clears throat> no, I'm like that that defensive back group, like Brent McDougal and Jake Kelly, they were like really athletic, but it's kind it was kind of like shopping and it's maybe a weird comparison, but like where you go into the produce section and there's, you know, you're looking for something very specific, but it's like, you see, you know, a grapefruit that's like perfectly ripe. And then one that's like not even where close to being ripe, but they kind of look the same, feel the same. Otherwise and you don't know until you crack them open. That's kind of what the defensive back group to me was, is like, everybody kind of looked the same on the outside. I was like, wow, these dudes are all big and like, they're really long. And then, and then we tested them and it was like, whoa, there are some different results out here from all of these guys. So um, McDougal kind of felt like that to me where, like, I think he's going to end up, I'm, there's going to be a ton of defensive backs drafted again this year, just like there yeah. was last year. Like that's, that's going to be a trend throughout. Um, I actually, in my mock, I have a run on 
defensive backs where I drafted like six out of seven picks, like somewhere in the forties. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know. Like I kind of feel like these guys are all just like fifth, six rounders and maybe they all get taken in around this spot. But um, yeah, there's, there's some unique body types in this draft. And I think defensive back is the one that had the most pure athleticism was my takeaway coming out of the combine. Yeah, it certainly seemed like it to me that like, I know we talked about it a little bit earlier on, but the DB group just seemed to be, you know, the most, the most freakish, the most athletic at the combine. Um, But I do want to circle back for a second to Clark Barnes, because we mentioned him a little bit. We said, you know, O-line, O-line, O-line for Saskatchewan. We threw you, I think all of us threw Clark Barnes into Saskatchewan, but I mean, you made an interesting point on, on Twitter. I swapped mine. I said Cole Tucker this week. Oh, did you? Okay. <laughs> well, at some point we've all mocked Clark Barnes yes. to Saskatchewan, but you made an interesting point. Like our teams, and, and I guess this is more of a general question than a Saskatchewan question, but like our team's going to look at a guy like Keen Schaefer Baker coming out of Guelph and then go a little higher on a guy like Clark Barnes, knowing what Saskatchewan got in KSB, or like you said, are we all just making too much out of the uniform? Yeah, it's a good question. I think in all honesty, the people who make the actual decisions in the league are smart enough to not just scout the helmet. Like that's the old saying, right? Is like, don't look at the helmet. The helmet doesn't actually mean anything. It's, but I do think it's hard if, because it's not just like one or two teams missed on picking him. Like it's not Sam Bowie getting taken second overall by the Portland trailblazers. And then MJ goes third to the bulls. Like Portland hates themselves for that even though they justified it at the time because of seven footers being Kings in the NBA and all the rest, but it's like Portland is the only team that got that wrong. Everybody got KSB wrong, including this is the funny thing about the Tom Brady falling so far. It's like the Patriots get celebrated for picking him. They also messed it up like for several rounds. Cause if they knew he was going to be Tom Brady, he would have been taken by the Patriots earlier on. So I think it's hard for everybody in the league, even without the KSB kind of preface to see a similar profile, even though I think Kean was a more well-rounded, stronger hands catcher in traffic, like a more pro ready receiver. Clark is going to give you the acrobatics and the return game, obviously. And he's going to make, uh, you know, a play here or there, but I think he's more similar to Keandre Smith. If we want to just compare to Guelph guys, than he is to Kean. Um, and this, this is actually kind of funny. So I was trying to answer this question for myself, Connor, last week about what do their spider charts look like next to each other? Because I wanted to see direct comparison side by side. And I went looking for Keandre, Kean, uh, <laughs> and Clark and I realized oh I don't have any of the testing results logged from the 2020 Ontario Regional Combine because I didn't realize that Kean Schaefer Baker was in that one we always talk about Jordan Williams coming out of that Ontario Regional can you imagine how funny it would have looked at a national combine that Kean Schaefer Baker and Jordan Williams both had to advance and like that's before things got weird with the pandemic where it was hard to scout people and we were doing virtual testing and that was a normal year up until that point. And they were in the regional combine. So I went through and I logged that information and I ended up getting the side by side by side. Um, 
and it, yeah, it's to me, Clark is, he's an, he's got so much potential and I think that he's going to be good for a team. I just don't think he's going to be Keen Schaefer Baker. Great. Because I think Keen is just, he's so strong in and around the football and like the laser focus of that guy. Um, I think it's hard to emulate regardless of whether it's another player from his school or not. Yeah. I mean, you can see it on the field too. Like he's just a special, special wide receiver makes those special wide receiver type plays Uh, sticking on the topic of wide receivers. We spent some time on Cole Tucker here because he was a guy that kind of like came into this draft process late and now he's shooting up boards. uh, and, And I mean, like you had him comped even to like a Dalton Schoen type, body yeah. type receiver right yeah i think shown's a little bit bigger i might have been a little off on that one after i put it but i do think i, I think tucker's like a solid six two though yeah it's sneaky because he, he like you expect him to be like this little shifty slot back he looks and, so short on the which by the way too. you guys will appreciate this i laughed the other day watching bertrand bull use like a highlight pack or something and in comes in the background carl shabbat and i was like oh my god <laughs> We talked about this uh, last week, Connor. Did we do East West? Yeah. And I mentioned Carl Shabbat, and I was like, he is my short hero for this, uh, like sneaky because he's so short, nobody's gonna see him coming or something like that. Yeah, it's it's amazing when you see side by side in the huddle. I'm just like, what a body type, man! And like to be so productive. I'll never forget that Vanier in 19. Yeah. I was watching that from the basement at McMahon Stadium during Grey Cup practices, and I was tracking Sinagra's throws the whole game in the basement i hated that game carl shabbat was so annoying it wasn't great but it was like i was tracking senegra's throws in the basement of mcmahon watching this and i just remember being like who the hell is that little dude like yep i remember saying that in the stands (laughs) (laughs) um so anyways yeah i looking at 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 tucker's size he is bigger than i realized at first and like I've watched a little bit of Northern Illinois stuff and he, he makes a legit impact. And I also, I should say this, I really trust anytime Dwayne Ford has any kind of gut feeling or opinions about anything. Cause he's just been around this so long that like Dwayne and I will talk on the phone for hours and sometimes he'll just mention something and it just like sticks into my head, like a, a note being written where I'm like, okay, Dwayne said this and he knows what he's doing. Therefore Dwayne has said to me a couple of times, just, just keep Cole Tucker in mind for the first overall pick. Just keep first like, overall. Like, well, he's not pre- he's not predicting it. He's not mocking it. He's just like he's just got this kind of feel and like be aware. Bob Dice wants to shake it up with. Yeah, it's like just don't don't forget. Like he's he's gonna be around, and we'll see what happens. But it seems like that's probably one that we should not forget about, kind of thing. So. um I think his skill set is great. I think he's going to be a perfect fit on any roster that he drops into because he can play interior. He's like, he's not going to separate like crazy, but he's going to be everything that you need in a zone heavy CFL defense scheme. So, I mean, I've toyed with mocking him. I would say he's actually the most flexible, like mockable player in this draft in terms of the top end, because you can make arguments against uh, Uguak going to different places or Jonathan Sutherland doesn't make sense here or there or Francis Bemi won't fit in at that spot because the ratio so 
I think you could make room for Cole Tucker on any roster in the first round. Uh, no, I, I agree with you. And like, when it comes down to like apples to oranges, Jared Wayne, Cole Tucker, Clark Barnes, like nobody really separates from the rest. And as we kind of go into the, uh, as we kind of go into the nitty gritty of the draft, I honestly think that teams are going to start separating these guys based off of, well, you know, for our scheme, this guy brings a smidge more than say Clark Barnes. He may not be able to return the ball or make an impact on specials the way Clark can, but he fits us just that inch more offensively. Yeah. And that's what it's going to come down, which is really unfortunate for these guys because like the sliding scale for pay and what cities they could possibly go to. Um, but that's what it's going to come down to with a class like this, where there isn't really much difference. Like which team do you guys think is the, the most, the team that's most wishing that they could get cold Tucker? Cause like I, I looked at this as Saskatchewan would be nice. But I had I mean, Sask. I had yeah. Sask this week as taking him. But, but if you're if you're Jeremy O'Day, you can, I don't think you can draft a receiver with in the second round. Player. I have him in the second round. Okay, I have him I going Dante Bull in the. I don't think he's going to be there in the second round though. Like I think Cole Tucker is going to be a first round lock with Jared Wayne going somewhere in there as well. So if you're in the first round, like if you're in the top nine, BC, Winnipeg, Montreal, Hamilton, Calgary, Saskatchewan, Edmonton. I'm like, to me, in terms of being able to maximize what he appears to do well from what I can tell from watching, like, I don't think Edmonton is is going to, if you're Edmonton, why why would you want it? Because you're already going to go out and, and throw the ball a thousand times to Gino and Kyron Moore. And, yeah, and I don't think Edmonton's in. I don't think Saskatchewan can. Connor and I have floated Calgary going defensive a lot because I just, they're one of those teams as well. Like it's just so much, uh, so many riches at the receiver position. Yeah. Uh, Hamilton, Montreal has two picks. Like I have them going Jared Wayne, but you could, like you said, argue that Hamilton, I, if they have a late Cordy Moore sitting on the board at six, I don't know if they're going to pass it for Cole Tucker. I don't think they need. Cordy Moore at six though, because if you look at their actual, like their roster construction, I was talking with Don Landry about this because he was writing the, um, the like top of the depth chart piece for CFL.ca and he wanted some of my insight on Hamilton. And we started going through and breaking down where guys will actually line up. And we saw Hamilton's defensive line group. If you literally like go to tycats.ca and go to the D line and try to figure out where everybody's going to line up, they don't have room. And, and it's like, is Lake Cordymore going to be better than Diallo, who's already got some CFL experience? Probably not right now. Um, you obviously, you got Teddy on the inside. You've got Mason Bennett with Kwaku coming off the injury with uh, Anthony Federico. It's like, I, I don't think they need him at that spot, which is why I think that he's probably going to slide a little bit back into the first round, start of the second kind of thing. Um, but that's coming. <laughs> maybe um but that's why for me and i ask you guys kind of that question because it's a, it's an interesting thought experiment that i've had to do on my own of montreal i don't think that that tucker would get maximized by the fajardo moss stuff no absolutely not he will not yeah. be maximized and, and he does i also not play fullback 
<laughs> but, I, but I also think Montreal is likely to take some combination of Bemi and Broderick in the first round with those two picks. So if I'm like, if Ottawa goes Jared Wayne, because he's the best receiver on the board in there, I, I think he is. If they take him, Edmonton doesn't want him because they're not going to do that stuff. Saskatchewan could take him, but I don't think they can validate doing a, a receiver at third overall. It leaves me knowing that Winnipeg is loaded at receiver and doesn't need any help again. It leaves me with Calgary and Hamilton. And that's the fourth pick and the sixth pick. So Calgary gets their first kick at him. And you say, I, I see them going Sutherland. I see them going defensive because I just think they've got a bunch of American defensive backs right now. And then like Nick stats is just kind of like hanging out and doing stuff, which is cool. But I also <laughs> think that they could probably upgrade uh, if they wanted to go get Sutherland and bring him in, I could totally see him fitting in naturally with that defense. If they decide to go Tucker, it's because Jake Mayer's tendency is incredibly Trevor Harris-like. Like, he wants crossers and checkdowns and timing throws. And, yeah. like, Tucker would be a really good fit for that. So I think Tucker to Calgary would be legit. But if he gets past four and Hamilton's sitting there and their D-line's good, they've spent all their money on the offensive line. They've got their quarterback in-house. Their running back situation is essentially set up. It's like, like what makes the most sense? Well, you say, well, they went Chapman and they went Jake Burt and they, yeah, but those were kind of like risky, you know, guys coming in kind of unproven type stuff because Burt was the tweener at Boston College that didn't really fit. And Chapman was the burner that you weren't sure if you were going to get. I think Cole Tucker is like a guaranteed deliverable so i just feel like if he gets past four to calgary it, it might be hamilton at six as a lock for it so again I, i'm talking that out the same way that i've kind of had to think it through and i feel like i make a compelling case but as we all know it's the draft and none of that will matter by the time the picks are made no i like i like the thought process for it and like my thought process i've put in lake this this time last time i think Connor both had uh baggy yogo yeah, just kind of like they had the Dean pick that hasn't played out because he stayed in LA. Um, they're kind of getting older on the back end, and like while they have kept, uh, like they kept Ted and Simone and Tim White, they also lost guys like Ciante and yeah. Jamal Roll, and uh, like you could say, well, look who they've added, but they're not adding young players, right? Like outside of Quaku who's just coming off an, a massive injury, they're not adding spry young chickens. And yeah. Connor kind of said, like, back end is where I think. Yeah. But if you make the argument for receiver at six because they think Cole Tucker is heads and shoulders above a Baggy Yogo or a Sutherland if he's there or uh, Jake Taylor if you wanted to play him in that role, yeah, then there you go. I think... Uh... I think you're right, Connor, because I think as as deep as the Ticats defensive line is, they're equally thin at DB. And they're also paying Tunde a ton of money. And and that, that that's cool because he's earned it. Like Tunde's a hell of a player. But I'm also wondering if because the Ticats kind of did this with Daly, right? Where they Stavros was kind of like the one who was gonna slowly bump Daly out because it was like they acquired Tunde and then he worked with Tunde and then Daly was like the fall guy. And then Daly would come in, but then Stavros came in and it was like, they were constantly just kind of like trying to move younger and get cheaper. And, and I do wonder 
it's not like Tunde's old. It's not like Tunde's going to like retire tomorrow or anything like that. But if Hamilton were to bring in Bagiogo, they're thin, so you could play him at field corner, right? Like that would make sense. Um, but you could also kind of figure out whether or not he can learn how to be a free safety. And I think that's intriguing for down the line just because of his length. I don't think it's natural for him. I think there would be some struggles, but Hamilton has been Canadian at free safety for <laughs> I'm trying to even think like Neil King to Courtney Stephen to Mike Daly to Tunde Delicate to Stavros Katsatonis to it's been a long chain that probably goes back even further than my memory of covering the Ticats. So um, I, I could totally see Baggy Yogo if they value him in that way and they think they can get more for it and they don't need it because their receiving core is set up. I could totally see them going DB there because he's the one I think that would make the most sense for him. Yeah, I have to agree there. That's kind of why I, I, I put him there. But I mean, talking about safeties, Canadian safeties, are we ever going to see Nick Cross assume that role or is that pipe dream dead? I think it's possible. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> no, Damn. It, it, I mean, we always want the Canadians to play Sam. But the one, the one good thing that I will say about us squeezing the hashes in uh, is we've always wanted Canadians to get a chance to play Sam. Well, the will is now the same and the Sam is now the will. Like they're essentially interchangeable in the way (laughs) I actually had a conversation with Rourke at the gray cup where I kind of like showed him his chart for the year and we were breaking stuff down and he made some like off comment about how dumb the hash move was. <laughs> um, Cause he's like, it doesn't change anything. He's like, the biggest change is where we get the ball to start a drive. He's like, when you give us the extra 10 yards, like we're, we're going to do better. It's not that hard to figure out. <laughs> um, but like Nick cross, even like you mentioned Jake Taylor. Sam of the I, year. So I think, I think Jacob Taylor goes to BC at either nine or 14. Connor. Damn okay. you. Okay. And, and the I have I him going that, to Ottawa at 10. Okay. So I think it's either nine or 14 to BC. And I think that it's going to be uh, because they see like Williams gets moved out. Hladic goes to the middle. Lacombo comes in and now you've got to build your depth at will linebacker with the potential to have interchangeable players that you could bump Lacombo into the middle if will if Platic gets hurt and now you got to have a backup will, right? And it's so it's like Jacob Taylor kind of fits in that Nick Cross, different body types, different speed, all the rest. Yeah. But basically, what you're just saying is like athletic freak who can play in that tweener DB linebacker style that you need to be an outside linebacker in the CFL. So um, yeah, that, that's where I have him going. And just you saying that about Nick Cross and talking outside linebackers kind of reminded me of that. Hey, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I mocked Jake Taylor to BC at nine twice already now. So. It's a front neck thing, man. You you wouldn't understand, <laughs> Wade. No, I selfishly put Jake Taylor at 10 because we have a destined dinner date with Jake if he gets drafted by the Red Fox. <laughs> yeah, We've already set it up. It's already set in stone. All, all Sean Burke has to do is call his number on draft night. I, I made that like off comment. I was like, oh, if Jake Taylor somehow ends up in Ottawa, like we'll take him out to dinner or whatever. And he like tweet, I, he like DM'd, he DM'd us, or tweeted us, us or something. He's like, He's dinner's like, on, boys. Dinner sounds good. <laughs> gotta be a fat boys. Okay? It's gotta be a fat boys. That's, you know that. But, well, if you uh, have the red blocks and we, we also have like 
craft beer market right there. there so it, it could it could work. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think that's that's a, a likely one. Again, with me thinking it through as logically as possible. But again, I've told you essentially what my mock draft is here. And I, I've thought it through. So I make a compelling case for it all. But I also didn't have Nate Cherry going as high as he did last year. Like anywhere close. No. I had him like 21st overall. He goes third to BC. So that's the fun of this, right? Is we all think we know. We all make good reasons as to why. And then like Jake Taylor might go fifth to Montreal because Machocha just friggin' loves him. Or he might go... No, to- no, he's not from Quebec, Marshall. You have to temper your <laughs> well, expectations. I, I actually that. said at the end of the combine, they were getting everybody <laughs> together to take pictures, right? They were all doing like the nostalgic, like East West. Oh, yeah. It's like all the guys from the same schools come together and take the pictures. And after they did all the position groups, they said, hey, all the Quebec guys. And so they got all of the Montreal and the, and they, they actually made fun of Jake Kelly because they're like, Jake, get in here, man. Like, you know, you can come in from Bishops. It's fine. Even He's like, yeah, Quebec. And he jumped in the picture with them. Uh, but they were like, let's get all the Quebec guys. And I, I stepped up in front of them and I went, man, this is incredible. You guys have already got the entire Alouette's draft class in one place. <laughs> and, and every single guy giggled, but like was kind of like, ha, funny. But they all kind of looked at each other and they're like, yeah, but he's, he's right though. Like, <laughs> they're like, there's a good chance that like six of us are playing together in training camp in Montreal, right? So, well, I guess next year, so Shabbat's draft year would be. The last set of guys Machocha would have had at U to M. That's where the real test happens. Once we get through that era. Once we get, well, it's like Pete Carroll in the NFL, right? He goes into the NFL. He's already got all these scouting reports on these players that he's either played against, recruited, or coached himself. He drafts really well. And then as soon as those age groups are gone from the draft eligibility, it's like, oh shit, I'm supposed to do what? With what information? So why were my mock why were my mock drafts so bad against guys I had played against them? <laughs> because you think higher of them when they're tackling you than <laughs> when you're dunking on them with deep touchdowns. So you're like, oh yeah, I scored four on them. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I had a I had a great conversation uh, the other day where I was mentioning Yandika Bellatoke and pick sixing me twice uh, for Queens, and I his his name just haunts me from Queens. So. Shout out to Jan, wherever you are in the football universe. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's let's move to guys that we could see being like late round values. So yeah. We started with Connor Burtonshaw. Is there anyone that you think is like, damn, you know what? If they, two years ago, it was Colton Clawson for me. I just thought he could do so much on the field that there was value somewhere for him. He ended up going the last round. Uh, last year, of course, Connor Burton Shaw. Is there anyone that you think like not really being talked about, but should get a look towards the end of the draft? Just because I decided once in a while in a mock draft, it's just fun to kind of be like an evil cat. Um, I decided to mock Michael O'Shea to the Hamilton Tiger Cats just because I thought that would be fun. <laughs> oh God. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure whether there's value there. I'm not sure what that would end up looking like, but that's where I put him. I think one that jumped out to me at the Invitational Combine was Cody Hale um, from from U of T. I, I, was really guy. I was really impressed by him that day, and he didn't get the invite to the Nationals, and I think he could have. So, like, 
that to me was one outside looking in that I think there's still interest there, which usually that formula of wasn't at the nationals, but tested well and everybody was kind of real quiet about it. I think some teams might be kind of hiding him and that, that usually screams late round pick that people are interested in. Smart um, kid, nice kid. Again, with that long frame, the DBs yeah. talk about, but from he's Oakville, right from Oakville. So you're talking Hamilton or Toronto could potentially pick him up late rounds and know that they could keep him in house and develop. And yeah. And like with, low. with Cody, the interesting things like, I don't know, Connor, we were both longer DBs, but we weren't guys that kind of shied away from contact at all in our careers, I'd say. Like, if I could talk about us for a second. Some some longer DBs, though, tend to shy away from that and say, like, I'm a long cover guy. I stay in cover. Cody Hill is complete opposite. Right. When they played Queens in the playoffs, Cody absolutely demolished someone on a crosser. Like, it was thrown late by Vreekin, and Cody just crushed him come on freaking and <laughs> he came up to me afterwards i was like i was like that hit was nice he's like please tell me you got like any piece out on your camera like anything i was like honestly cody i knew the play was coming i put my camera down and just started to watch and he's like yeah that's fair i kind of like that too but it was like he was happy about the physicality in his game and it's something that you know greg marshall probably prides in his players at this point right yeah yeah absolutely by the way very i, I probably shouldn't say this because it's his uh his thing to celebrate and not mine but shout out to my guy alex Reekin attending hamilton tiger cats training camp this year he's going to be working alongside bo levi yes Ooh. yes wow. okay uh were we talking to you about this where we kind of said like i don't think there's a reason queens goes back to james keenan this year no, I think Vreekin's earned it, right? Like yeah, he, he has to he, have. He, was that you were talking that, or was that us talking amongst ourselves? Well, one so day? I, I actually said to Vreek after they lost the Yates Cup in the snow at Western this year that I was like, "Hey, man, I know another dude who wore your number who lost a Yates Cup, uh, or like lost at Western in the playoffs the year before we went and won the Vanier." And I was like, "That was Kyle Quinlan." And the next year was the most driven and focused and amazing quarterback play I've seen in university football firsthand. So I basically said to him, I'm like, this team is yours now. And you have every opportunity to put together a Vanier run. Little did I know they're going to be hosting the damn thing. Um, but it, I mean, I, I think Freakin's the guy for them going forward with Queens, but I'm excited for him to work with Bo, man. Cause think about it. Like, you know, the timelines are kind of weird where I, I was in training camp with Bo a decade ago in 2013. Alex Freakin's another Frontenac secondary quarterback. And he's in training camp in Hamilton with Bo, who's like all-time legend guy. When you're a young quarterback growing up, you hear the name and you know they're legendary, but you don't know if you'll ever be able to actually like, you know, learn or be around them. I learned so much from Bo. I mean, I was also in a quarterback room that had Dave Dickinson and Kevin Glenn and Drew Tate. and But... I learned so much from those guys in such a short period of time when, when Alex told me, and I'm sorry, Alex, if you're upset that I told people about this, but when he told me that he was going to get to go to camp with Hamilton, I was like, man, just stock Bo. Like there is, think about this. He's going to go from getting the chance to play in a Yates cup on the road in the snow at Western. As a true freshman. As a true freshman, get beat up, get blown up, whatever. 
learn from that experience, be driven by that, work his ass off, which I know he is right now, go into a spring camp, come out of that feeling good, go into a CFL training camp where you learn from Bo Levi Mitchell, and then go into a season in which you're hosting the Vanier Cup. Like that, to me, that right there is, and I talked to some people uh, at the Combine who said that Queens, they think is the team to chase in the OUA this year and moving forward. Like Western is still going to be Western, but there's a lot of people in Canadian football who think that, I know we're totally getting sidetracked by U-sports stuff, but there's a lot of people who genuinely are saying like Queens is the team that everyone is now trying to track down. And if Freakin is, if Freakin's going to be at the head of that and they're going to be hosting the Vanier, I'm like, and that's going to create some incredible storylines like Western coming into Queens potentially in a Yates cup, trying to knock them off before they can host the Vanier. Like Western had the inability to be able to do last year. Um, well, I think the big piece with Queens, okay. Evan Florin, mid round pick, late round pick. Yeah. Theo Grant, late round pick, maybe a camp invite. Assuming both of those guys get sent back to Queens. Mm. They have two CFL ish caliber offensive linemen they have jazz who's going to be at the east west bowl in i guess that's two weeks away where we get to see him rock they'll have south hubert and Darren newell so they have their offensive line solidified they have two certified pass rush monsters they have a back end with ethan martin who decided to stay back for another year uh ashton miller melanson uh, they have yeah keegan vanick who's going to be another east wester <laughs> They have two really long and athletic corners who I'm just blanking the names on right now. I think I think Burton's going to come back too because I don't think Burton's going to get drafted yeah. anywhere in the top half, right? So, Kalana no, as well, so potentially. Get... Don't do this, Connor. Don't drafted this, by please. guy. He's a drafted by guy. Plus, <laughs> you know, Anthony Soul's in the backfield. Yeah, so the, on the offensive side, then you get Vreekin, who's going to have all this experience. And it's not like you're throwing in a random second year who hasn't played. You're throwing in a guy who took bullets last year. Yeah. who had the angriest run of the Yates Cup, despite it being a loss. What a run. <laughs> um, what a run. And then you're going to have well, your receiving core completely put Keon together. Edwards. It helps in the hole for Keon Edwards isn't seven yards wide by the time the ball is snapped. <laughs> yeah, and Phil Grovac's going to be gone. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, but no, for Queens, like you have all of the pieces returning. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and you have a young quarterback. It's kind of like the NFL like model to build a Super Bowl team, right? Like you have your offensive line set, you have your pass rush set, you have a couple really good cover guys and a young quarterback who's on a rookie contract. In this case, you have a young quarterback with room to grow in years to come. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's a good setup for them. But I just I love the idea of Western being pissed off when they hear that they're not the favorites. Because, like, an angry Western who's deemed themselves to be somehow underdogs is like Travis Kelsey standing on a Super Bowl stage going, everybody doubted us. Nobody thought we'd be able to pull this off. And it's like, there's a couple of coaches I talked to at, at the Combine who are saying, yeah, I think Queens is probably the best team in the OUA moving forward here. And you just know that th that's going to be turned. And Winati is going to be going <laughs> zero dark 30 to crush someone's soul in week one just exactly. to prove a point. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of Ed Bonatti, I hope he gets like 25 plus carries a game this year yes. and just let him run, like go full commit to the wide zone and just let them pick a hole and cut it and go. I agree, man. I, you know, what was funny though, just to like tie this back into the mock draft stuff and, and leading into this year's Tuesday is like, 
like I don't have Keon getting drafted. I don't have Magne Jones getting drafted. I, no, I I, I did don't... not realize how small Magne. I know this is another like picky thing, but like no, it's not. I knew he was small. He's. I didn't know he was smaller than some of my grade eight students. He is like Gabriel Apayakubi from York Small. They're not that yeah. different. Like, we talk about Apayakubi as like the smallest guy that's ever been evaluated at CFL Combine. Magne Jones is not that far off. Like Keon Edwards is thick, but he's really short and he didn't test well. And then it's like, well, Spencer Nichols wasn't the top three or four fullback at the combine. And you start to look at it, you're like, man, like Grahovic came in and did his thing, but I thought he would separate. And it seemed like by the end of the combine, Dayton Black was the one from Saskatchewan that people were really impressed by more so than Grahovic. So I, I'm, yeah, that Western group that came in this year, it was a bit of a tough look because they were obviously very successful. Um, but they, I mean, I think there's good reason why people came out of that combine saying, like, even if those guys go back, that maybe Queens is the group because you just, I, it's great that you went through the depth chart off the top of your head, Wade, because I do think that they have a really strong group. I'm, I've watched enough Queens football to know. I... Yeah. <laughs> Um, but no, like when it comes to the running back group, like you're watching Bertrand Bowley, you don't have Keon Mock. Uh, Adam Williams, I think, will get drafted. I don't know if he gets sent back to U of T for another year or not. I think that's most likely with the running back. I think but he then got the... squeezed in like the very last part of my cut downs for Adam Williams. Um, when I was making my kind of big board of like 75 guys, I, he was like a super, super, super late cut that I had. And here's the, the thing. Like, we have him in our 20s on our draft 100, but we don't, like, positionally value something. Like, we don't say, oh, you're a running back. Your position is completely devalued in drafting. You're going to be at the back. Yeah. We just say, like, you are a top X player, regardless of your position. Yeah. And, like, the running backs, we have them scattered throughout, but, like, Bertrand Houdon is an aggressive runner, like A.J. Olette, but we already have an A.J. Olette. Is there, like, I can't see Toronto taking him. What other teams would take that style? So I I put Thomas Bertrand Houdon to Ottawa at 25 uh, because I've, I've kind of done some studying on average place taken by positional group to find out, like, what positional groups are valued and not valued year over year and what the trends are and that kind of stuff. And, like, to have... Adam Aboye go last year to the Argos where he did. He was the outlier. And after that, there was really not a whole lot there to be able to be taken. No. This year, I think, realistically, it's Bertrand Houdon. And then Chase Brown gets taken somewhere when somebody wants to take a risk. And after that, like I don't, I would be surprised if we had more than two, maybe three running backs get taken. Fullbacks, I think Dallaire comes off. I think Beaulieu comes off. I think Sebastian Howard comes off. Are our teams rating Beaulieu as a fullback? He never played fullback he, at Carabank, but is it kind of like a JP Simonkinda thing where like I think so. your body type screams fullback regardless of your tape? Yeah. yeah, that that's what I've done with him. And I think that that's what other teams are doing as well. Like I think to me, Beaulieu is a the one I'm confused by is Sebastian Howard. I don't know what the <laughs> hell to do with his length and the fact that they want him to play the same position as Jacob Mason. Like Jacob Mason no. is a is a stout bowling ball of a human, and Sebastian Howard is an avatar, and you want them to do the same thing. 
and it, new favorite I, new favorite draft we have road grader and avatar okay there's the <laughs> like he's he is so big so i just have a hard time figuring out what to do with that but i i mean i i'd be surprised if we get more than bertrand hudon and probably bertrand hudon and chase brown in terms of running backs just because you guys know this like if you're gonna take risks on running backs that you don't think might be able to actually play for you, it's because they have to add special teams value. And I think there's more special teams upside to the big DBs and the thick linebackers than there is the running backs this year. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And I I think like, it's weird because there's set picks. And when we have big classes of DBs, like we had last year and this year, like that takes a lot of spots away from other dudes who could very well be damn good ballers. But if I need a DB and I need someone to contribute on five specials and still fill out a national spot, if I can get a DB that can play four or five on the field, that's a hell of a lot for me than someone who can fill in one running back spot or one special team slot. Yeah, and I gave him to Ottawa as well because Glanders is gone. And I don't really think that the future of the running back spot, if they would have signed Wes Hills, then maybe I'd be like, oh, you know, it's locked up and they're going to go with a single American back. And But I just feel like there's enough flexibility. He's got experience at fullback and running back. He'll run down on specials for Bob Dice. Like you put Bertrand Hudon next to, uh, who's our who's our boy from Laval, big tight end that's there? Uh, Marco Dubois. No, Marco yes, Dubois. Yeah, oh. Marco Dubois. Thank you. If if he's running down next to Dubois, you put a little bit of weight on Keaton Brugling, maybe. And it's like you start been training Bob Sledding. He's he's got the weight going. Don't worry. There you go. Then you, you got all of these guys that are kind of starting to to fill out and run down on specials for dice. Like he's gonna love that stuff. So um that that makes a lot of sense for me why he'd go there. All right. Uh any other final questions, Connor, before we wrap up? this monstrosity of a podcast that's going to be like an hour and 25 minutes i don't i don't think so for me i think like from linemen to fullbacks to receivers to running backs to conspiracy theories to oua talk oh we covered like almost everything tonight wait it looks like you got got one more thing though yes guaranteed lock we get a second straight year with a long snapper being drafted luke burton Cron. Oh yeah, 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 he's got it. Oh yeah. yeah, I have. I think we have him like what forty-two. I'm looking at here. Yeah, forty-two overall. On, overall in the draft, one hundred, uh, and that I, might be low. <laughs> I have him at forty-five. Congrats! Yeah, there we go. Look at us. Forty-five <laughs> is uh, Campbell Fair for us. We gotta we gotta show love to our kickers. There you go. There you go. Well, this was awesome, boys. I appreciate you having me on to come hang out and talk it all through. Absolutely. We uh we will be on again. I guess. The day of the draft, Connor and I will have something. Marshall will be busy getting his hair cut and his beard trimmed up. Pretending um, to be confident and figure out what I'm doing on TV. <laughs> but uh, no stream for Connor and I this year. We had attempted to set something up, but uh, schedules. So we'll we'll do the same social media and we'll probably do some check-ins as well. Yeah, we'll just we might throw check-ins. a little party. We might throw a little party as 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 the draft night goes on. Uh, keeping in mind it is on a work night. <laughs> But uh, for all of us, next week, we also actually have our, our new sponsorship announcement, so we won't tease that anymore. Um, but if you want 15% off all of your whistle needs, head over to fox40shop.com, the worldwide leader in whistle tech, coaching boards, merchandise, 
boat safety kits as we get closer to summer, and much more. Fox40shop.com, CFP15 for 15% off your order. At TSN Marsh, at Connor R. O'Neill, at Wade Zank. Enjoy the nice weekend.